you're not going to get to reframing value and this constant learning if you're burnt. Welcome to Participate. I'm Mike Washburn. And I'm Dr. Julie Kane. On the podcast, we have a new series on the feed. Julie and I are solo, well, the two of us. And we're going to take a deep dive into community building and communities of practice. We love talking to people about how they're using their communities to have an impact. But we also really like just getting into the weeds, getting into the concepts that power communities and communities of practice. So let's get started. Let's do it. So, Julie, let's talk about how we know whether a community of practice is healthy. Let's talk about community health this week. What do we use as a framework for talking about this? So we use as our kind of theoretical guidepost, Wenger Trainer. These are two folks that have um, really kind of marked the field of communities of practice and have done the most sort of deep work around what are communities of practice, defining them. And we've talked about these definitions on prior episodes. But I think the most helpful work that they have done is developing, and this is, again, almost 10 years old, but they've done, as you've read their most recent book, they've done more iterations of it. And they have really practical guidelines on a website that tell you how to measure um, healthy communities. And this has always been I will say an internal challenge for us. We have lots mm-hmm. of different types of partners. We've been talking to them on this podcast. Shelly Bell from Black Girl Ventures has a much different focus than Margaret Honey at the New York Hall of Science. Yeah, I mean, we are so fortunate. We have almost this giant lab, a giant lab <laughs> right. of communities yeah, exactly. of practice. Exactly that span these incredible organizations that are really trying to bring their community members together to learn together. So we have focused on this evaluation framework that looks at value cycles. And value cycles are super useful because there are five of them. And I will say, even after how long I've known about these value cycles, it takes a long time to actually like put them into practice, right? We don't want to just parrot I'm not in a college course, right? I don't even want to use this podcast to lecture about value cycles. Like it's not in a vacuum. We need to understand how do these value cycles actually play out in the real world on our platform, but across any community practice, whether it's happening in a face-to-face setting or on other um, technology platforms, other social media platforms. So there are five of them. And the first one is immediate value. Does this place, does this community bring value to me in any way? Like, even if I don't change anything I do, do I find um, value here? Do, am I, is there a sense of belonging here? Right. And I think you can think about the different communities that you're a part of, that you feel like I belong here. These are my people. Um, Maybe these are people I didn't think were my people, but now I know they're my people. Um, And really in terms of evaluating, when you're asking about community health, Like, what were the community members' experience of it? They came in there. What did they find there? So when we're looking at it, like when I have my product research hat on, we're really looking at, like, participation. Like, are people discussing stuff? Are people even coming into the community? What are they accessing if there's resources there? If there are learning experiences, are they taking them? Are they taking a part of them? Are they, you know, so really sort of basic, like, again, what, what is the value here? And the community can have a value in and of itself. 
Even if yeah. you don't take that learning anywhere else, you're finding value in it, right? So I think you can think about that. The next one is like potential value. So we think about that as like, how has my participation changed me? What's the potential here? So I'm thinking of one of your communities, like game-based learning. You have a lot of really very experienced gamers. You have experienced educators there. How are they going to come together and learn new tricks of the trade or new strategies? How might, doesn't mean it did, but how might the community change what they do? Right. Um, and then we go, we keep going. And one thing I will m mention is that this is not a linear thing. It's not like I go from like immediate value, do, 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 and then I walk down to like potential value. It's, 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 it's sort of nonlinear. And the new winger trainer literature actually talks about this and the concept of flows. Yes. And 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 that that yes. value cycles flow from one value cycle to another. And back. And there are and there are documented flows. It's never linear, in never. fact. And it can go from one value cycle, but you can actually trace how um, your community's value can move from one value cycle to the next through these flows in different ways. And that actually in and of itself gives you some sort of indication on the effectiveness of your community. Yeah. And so, you know, for the potential value too, like our individual community members changing the way they even think about how they learn. So, you know, do sure, they yeah. come into a community and like all of a sudden, you know, let's say you might have a stream you know, let's say they did our uh, visual engagement, right, that you, um, you know, coordinated a, a couple of months ago. Maybe they had never been on Twitch. Maybe they had never learned from a stream. Maybe, they had, you know, they're think they're like, oh, I learned something in this new format. And I didn't know that that was even a thing before. So that potential value of really kind of reshaping how you think you learn um, is part of it. And I think that's, you know, you're building your kind of meta meta levels here. The other one is applied value, the third one, right? And that's like, I learned this thing and I did this thing and I put it into practice. And now I'm like, okay, I'm seeing that application, right? And then the fourth and fifth cycles are where things really get fun. And I know where we're going with this conversation um, is harder to measure, right? These first two cycles, like we can see that knowledge capital building. A lot of that's pretty transparent, particularly in an online community practice. I mean, that's the value of online communities of practice is their transparency. You can see stuff. And yeah. we know with a lot of our partners, especially thinking organizations, that's a struggle, right? When everybody's a thinker in an organization, Mike, I know we have this issue, like everybody's <laughs> doing so much stuff and you can, you know, it's like chasing like a, you know, it's, it's, you're just running behind a truck. I mean, it's just so hard. So you really want all of that learning to be really transparent. Yeah. So it's that realized value. And I, th I really do think about Shelly Bell. I think there's no question as I'm thinking about use cases in our own community. If you go into some of like she has this jet pack for leaders and we talk to her a lot about really her purpose of her community is really scaling up that training, that capacity building for women of color, entrepreneurs, 11 cities. How's one woman? Even Shelly Bell, she's incredible, but she needs to scale. So right. how do you get these people learning together? And then that realized value, like she's changing stuff on the ground with these women in 11 cities. And that's really what we care about. I think LA Works, certainly our social impact organizations that we work with, this is where the rubber hits the road. And like that learning that they come together with, they're going out there and they're hitting the road and they're making a big difference. Um, and then I think the last one, and then we can sort of move on from this because I think you're right as we think about these flows, is the, is the last one is really about reframing. 
And that gets to the potential too, but because of my whole experience of these things and my flows in and out of, I found immediate value, I applied it. I, I, now I'm, I'm seeing change in my community. I've now changed fundamentally. Like I'm literally addressing new problems of practice in a new way. Mike, what we're after, like how do you capture that evidence? I know um, our colleagues are thinking about that, um, writing about that. Like where is that evidence coming from? Um, how are you finding it? And I think that's, you know, we talked to Mark Otter, our CEO, a couple of episodes back about micro-credentials and digital badging. You know, when you have the ability to bake data into these kind of really uh, very powerful packets of data, like portfolios, that's where I think some of that transparency and that's where you can find the evidence. But I think that's certainly the challenge. And the real interesting piece is where you flow from applied value back into potential value. Whereas like when you've taken what you've done and now what have we learned from that, that we see the potential for the new opportunities, you know, as a result of prior learning done in the community. It's cyclical. Some of these flows, you know, flow into each other repeatedly. And that's, that's kind of the whole point. That's why learning is such a ongoing process, right? Absolutely. And I think as we move on, you know, what we've talked about, and what you're reading too, Mike, I know, like, we, we're really trying to kind of walk that walk of being a learning organization. So we yeah. read a lot. We think a lot. Sometimes that gets us into trouble, right? Yeah. I think, you you know, when we've talked about immediate value, just keeping it fun and engaging and like you want to be in this place, but also understanding the complexity of learning, like that can sometimes be a hard thing to to manage all the time. Yeah. I know that even our community, remember when way back when, when we interviewed Michelle Mackenber and Anna Maria Knight, the United We Teach is actually thinking about this. So the teachers in that community love coming together about sharing recipes and they cook together and they, so that delight in that community is right there, right? Michelle yeah. has spun her magic in there. And, but then like, how do you transition that? You know, those teachers have real problems of practice, particularly during this year of a pandemic. So how do you flow in between that sort of delight, but then that really intentional learning where we're going to dig into some tough stuff. We're now working with this New York City group, a group of 50 lead principals across the system of New York City. And I mean, the challenges they faced are are incredible. And I'm, I'm looking forward to future conversations with them. But how they bring that community together, understanding those problems of practice, wanting people to learn together, um, and also just creating kind of a space of self-care. Like, mm. I feel like that's a role of community practice. Like, you're not going to get to reframing value and this constant learning if you're burnt. So what, what are the, you know, again, I think we've all faced that. What are the roles of community of practice really in just that care? Um, and that I think is part of the immediate value, right? Mm -hmm. uh, learning is an mm -hmm. emotional process. And I think we've talked about, Mike, too, is like, it's also about identity, which is why it's an emotional process. Human identity is a very complicated thing. And I think learning's yeah. really tied into like, because I think that's tied into the reframing value too. Who am I today? That's different than who am I a month ago or when I was 30 or whenever. Sure. Yeah, no, exactly. That's great. So I know you've been reading a lot and um, I'd love to hear 
what you've been thinking about, what you've been reading about, and really different takes on community health, how to measure it, and, and really how to present it. So tell me about the importance of stories. Yeah, this is the thing that I've been um, thinking a, a lot about, mainly because I think it's a lot of my my role in a lot of different ways is to tell the stories of success, you know, that our communities are experiencing. That's what a lot of the podcast is is telling stories. I mean, when we talk to these folks that are running communities and um, we're doing that because they have really great success stories to tell. Um, and when you combine that with, you know, the, what we just talked about in terms of value cycles, you can really see the value cycles playing out in those success stories. Um, when you, If you go back and listen to, for example, that episode um, about United We Teach, what you see there is, is that they've really nailed the community aspect of communities of practice. They have people that um, are really interested in, in talking to one another, and they've really found that, that spot. And so now they need to translate that into impacts on practice. Um, and the way that you show an impact on practice is by telling the story of that impact. And so I think one of the things that I am working on and thinking through is finding the best ways, the best ways possible to have our partners and folks that I deal with tell their stories of success, share how they moved through the value cycles using these flows um, and make it compelling, make it really interesting, um, moving even. Because one of the things um, about, you know, communities of practice is that we want people to feel like they're part of a movement. When people feel like they're part of, of a movement, they feel like they're doing things with meaning and purpose. And so when you can tell a story of impact on practice, and make that an emotional experience. Make that something that you feel, um, you want to learn more about, you want to be a part of, and you want to have that impact on practice too. That's when you actually make amazing change. And when you think about a lot of the great um, movements, a lot of the great things that have happened that have changed the world. Um, you know, it's come up a couple times subtly, but um, for example, the Georgia uh, elections in the recent election, I mean, that was a, that was a movement, right? That was a powerful movement that people felt passionately about. And that's why what happened in Georgia happened. And um, that there's, it's not a coincidence, that brings up another piece about communities of practice, which is very different than engagement on a social media platform, for example. The hopping in and around even different groups is not the same as a community of practice because of the sustained nature of it. So right. just bringing up the Georgia voter rights movement, you know, A, it's, you know, decades long and obviously has its roots well back, uh, even before we were born, Mike, if that's even possible. Mm -hmm. But certainly this new movement of, of mostly women-led organizations, it has been sustained interaction with each other over time. 
And that is an excellent example. You know, social movements as communities of practice is an interesting idea. What is the nature of that learning, of that sustained interaction over time with an absolute goal of transformation, societal transformation? Awesome. When we talk about the health of a community, when we talk Mm -hmm. about um, what indicators um, do we have, we tend to focus a lot on numbers. Um, And I've been thinking about this as well. I wrote a blog piece on on my personal blog. And we've recently written a blog article on our website. You can go to participate.com slash blog to check out the article about um, an alternative to community metrics. And, you know, the idea that numbers aren't actually the be all and end all. And you can have a small community that has a huge impact and you can have a large community with little impact. Metrics are not you know, everything, Um, right. You know, and some numbers are important and they can guide you, but they're only uh, part of the deeper questions on impact on practice. Right. What can be measured can't always be counted. Right. And what counts can always be measured. Wow. Yeah. And that is the scaling problem, right? So when I mentioned all of the organizations we have, you know, what are the tools that we can provide to our members to do that work? Because it's important to them, right? I mean, they're making both, you know, lots of investments all around, mostly in time, you know, in trying to get community member engagement and, you know, get their, you know, bringing value to, to their to their community members. So what are the tools that they can use? Like, what are those story generators? Mm-hmm. I know our colleague at Participate Don is like making some fun apps, um, even just using fun tools like Twine. I think you want to make some too, which is like, what could you put in the hands of someone to tell the story of their community? What would that look like? You can always write about it. You got Text is always a tool, video, but like, what are the questions? What are those sort of self-prompting questions? Like, what was my experience? What did I learn? How did this change me? How did my participation change me? How did my, you know, reputation change as a result? Who are the people that I've met? You know, all of those things, like, can you have people, I mean, you know, go through almost like basically little self-ethnographies, right? Really kind of thinking about their experience of a thing. And talk about it, you know, both at an individual level and at a community level. And I think that story generation certainly is where we're going to be putting some energies over the next years, because I think that's the more compelling way to present a community of practice impact, as opposed to a dashboard with some metrics like, you know, we need those two, but that's not going to tell you the power of um, the community practice, nor is it going to measure flows like that's. That's a very different thing. And I think, honestly, just again, as my background as a researcher, it's a methodological challenge, right? So I think where, where the, the, the you know, dynamic duo of Wenger-Trainer are helpful is, is those protocols and tools. So I really do urge folks that are interested in communities of practice to make sure you're, you're looking at their work and, and seeing how you can apply it in your own context. Absolutely. So we wanted to leave you now that we've we've taken a really deep dive into this, we've we've gotten into the weeds. We've given you some people that you could read. We've given you some terms that you should go and look up if you're looking to to deepen the um, value of your community value cycles, um, thinking about flows and how to tell stories in the community. But there are some really easy ways that you can improve community health 
kind of right away, to be honest. And we want to leave you with those. Um, the first one is welcome new members specifically and by name. This is super easy to say and actually shockingly hard to do. And it's not just saying hi, um, but but engage them in a low barrier call to action. Ask them a question. Welcome to this community. We're really glad you're here. I'm curious, what do you hope to get out of your time with us? Is there something that you need to know right away? Is there something that you would like to learn? Um, this is a really easy way just to break the ice and allow a person to feel seen, right? Absolutely. So the second one is to recognize achievements by members of the community and give people the time and the space to share their wins and celebrate those victories. I'm in a I'm in a community that every Friday there is a post in that community and it is literally called share your wins. And it is giving people the space to say this is what I crushed it at this week. This is the thing that I'm doing that I'm super excited about. This is the impact that I had this week. And what that, the outcome of that is, is not only that people feel like um, the rest of the community cares about what is happening, but it gives people an opportunity to engage uh, with you in terms of what you're doing. Maybe there are people that didn't even know you were working on something that once they see this win, they say, oh, I'm kind of working on that too. Maybe we can connect and work together. Um, it's, it's a super powerful way to um, make your community members feel valued. And speaking of making your community members feel valued, one of the things that I've been thinking about a lot is giving people the room to lead. Uh, a true community, the leaders in the community are just members, especially in an online community. They're just members with more access to the tools. Maybe the leaders have like the community man, like on participate. You know, the, the only difference should be that a community leader has access to like the community management aspects of the community. But if you're in a community and you consider yourself a community leader, then you should be one of the most active members of your community. And anyone in a community should be able to lead in some way if they stand out. For example, if what I just said caused you anxiety, if, if what I just said you know, caused you to go, oh, I can't be active and run this community, well, Maybe there are people that could do small aspects of this, like that welcome message, you know, for you as part of your team to give them an opportunity to be leaders. Yeah, we have a, a active, you know, use of just announcements in a community. Like, here's what's coming up. Here's what's happening. Here's some resources. Here's calls to action. And too often, it's really the voice of one person. Mm -hmm. And that is not reflective of a community. It's got to have different voices bringing people in um, to give that indication that it is a community of practice, not just a, not just a top-down here's the information you need this week, which is much more of like a core structure. Absolutely. And finally, the fourth way is to tell your community stories. We've talked about this on this episode a lot. This is the best way to demonstrate your journey through the value cycles. We have a lot of ways on participate in particular 
um, for you to tell stories right now. You can do it in discussions. You can make a page uh, and use that to tell your stories. But it is the most important thing that you can do, whether you're doing that on social no matter what, if you're using a podcast, using a live stream, making a video, writing a post, tell those stories. Share your wins, share your success, share your journey through value cycles. And if you do these four things, I guarantee you, you will see immediate value returned to your community. All right. Well, I hope, you know, I hope it's not just us interested in the weeds of this. I know we have a, a small, really gr growing group of folks that are really interested in communities of practice, um, making them work for their own organizations, um, because I think it is really how it, they work. They really do work when they are healthy. When they are healthy, they really have a lot of impact. Thanks for listening to Participate. My name is Dr. Julie Kane. My co-host is Mike Washburn, and we don't do this podcast alone. The Participate podcast team includes production by Jane Violet and Becky Latoff, with editing and music by Aaron Kane. Want to get in touch with us? Check out our website at participate.com. You can tweet us at Participate. Mike can be found on Twitter at Mr. Washburn, and I can be found on Twitter at Julie Kane. If you're enjoying the show and think others would too, we would be thrilled if you shared it with them. Please leave us a rating or review in Apple Podcasts or in Google Podcasts. When you leave a rating, it gives our rankings a boost. This helps others discover the show. Thanks as always for listening. Until next time. Bye.